Lee Henson Hasty. I'm the Senior Director of Theological Education Funds Development um, at the Presbyterian Foundation. And during this uh, pandemic, I've sort of been grounded, but in a way, we've opened up the world to introduce folks, new folks, folks some people know or don't get to see as much um, to uh, the world. And we're I'm glad to introduce to you today, if you've never met him, um, David King, who is the director of the um, Lake Institute on Faith and Giving at Indiana University. That's his one role, he sort of, and he also has a second role as an assistant professor. Now, I think you're also approved as an associate professor, but that's not official yet. Well, it's official. I think actually, maybe it happens today. I think July 1, so let's go. Yes. <laughs> I, kept, I was reading that on your CV, and I thought, I'm, I'm almost sure that his tenure was approved. So um, tenure professor at Indiana University, um, working with students as well. He does research. He also is uh, one of the major researchers, primary investigators with the economic, um, this, this huge study um, on, I always forget the name of it, the national, na tell me what it is. Well, we're bad at acronyms, but it's and it's the National Study of Congregations Economic Practices. National Study of where it goes. We'll we'll put some of those links out there. Um, I'd hope to have time to do that now, but I'll put them in afterwards. Make sure people you can just Google them uh, and find it. But it's um, there. The first sort of uh, findings came out on that study in the last year, so it is definitely worth looking at. And there's more to come. Um, which is really exciting. Um, David is also ordained with um, our, our close friends in the PCUSA, the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship. That's near and dear to my family on the Henson side. And, um, but also worships at a CBF and PCUSA church and has for a while. He's in Bloomington. He has a ch ch child uh, who recently learned how to ride a bike. <laughs> we've got right. four, but we've got four. One. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. And um, is uh, he's not on parent duty right now, but I think operating from home, like many of us, sheltering. So good to see you, David, be with you. Friends, the way you see David right now, he is not putting on a facade. This is, he, he's just uh, exudes joy and, uh, and hope. And so it's, it's really great to have you here today. Uh, maybe you say hello. I'm going to look and see if I see any, uh, who might be joining us <laughs> as we're talking. No, I'm delighted to be here and to, and to partner with, uh, with the Presbyterian Foundation. And, and the PCUSA congregations have been um, many of our greatest you know, partners in the learning we've done around stewardship and congregational vitality and, and generosity for, for years, and Presbyterian Foundation in particular. So grateful to share this kind of resource with you all and just kind of be in conversation about what we know about congregational finances and what might be changing and the, all the unknowns that surround us right now in, in these times. It, there are unknowns, that is for sure, and it's changing. I'm sure it will change even the research you've already done. Um, uh, but before we jump into that, just to help folks get to know you a little better, um, I think many of the folks who've watched before know this question is coming. I, prepped you to let you know, and it's a vocational call question. I know you think of your, yourself as, and you're ordained um, uh, as minister. Uh, I'm wondering how you understand your vocation. Our, one of our um, 
Presbyterian saints. We don't really, all of us are communion of saints, but I think of her as a saint as Katie Geneva Cannon said, I described um, vocation as the work your soul must have. What is the work your soul must have? And uh, answer that or one of her mentors, Howard Thurman, said, um, what is it that makes you come alive? Because what the world needs is people are coming alive. So tell us about your call, David. And Yeah, uh, it, in some strange ways, the, the work that we do at Lake Institute is a, is a perfect fit for, for my calling. Uh, you know, I've always struggled uh, in seminary and in graduate work when I served on staff at several congregations along the way and for our CBF denomination with the back and forth between where where did I belong? Um, in the academy, teaching, right. teaching or, or, or working and serving the local church. Um, and I kind of went back and forth uh, between those types of callings. And in many ways, people would uh, uh, push me to choose. You have to choose one or the other. Uh, where I am at Lake, actually, I have a foot in both worlds. And so while we're at a big state university like Indiana, um, the majority of my time is spent with pastors and faith-based nonprofit leaders and theological education uh, and shaping and helping imagine sort of what, uh, what, what congregational life looks like in the United States and beyond. Uh, so learning how the, the congregations, which are this unique sort of organization work, uh, is where my, is my love is. And right now, even in sort of the crisis moments that we are experiencing, it's the innovation, the creativity, and the resiliency of congregations and faith-based leaders that have, as they push me to, to do this work even more and to, and to learn every day uh, something new. Uh, and it inspires me to kind of keep doing the work that we're doing. So I'm not surprised to hear. I, I'm, I love the way you say it, the, the innovation. What are the, the things that you said? The innovation and the... Well, I mean, it's a mix of creativity and innovation, but resiliency. I mean, even resiliency that struggle are, are just, uh, I think congregations are a unique organism in their ability to bounce back and to engage their communities and beyond. Um, I didn't say earlier that um, David is trained as a church historian <laughs> and uh, brings that to the, he taught at Memphis Theological Seminary in church history. Um, but is one of the foremost experts uh, recognized nationally in philanthropy and in philanthropy and in the fundraising and stewardship world. One of the things people talk about a lot, I know you talk about in some of your writing about um, what I call, and I think you've even used the word donor centered fundraising. It's, it's not about me. It's not about us. It's about you. Let's, let's talk about you. And um, it's uh, really amazing to think about that. And I, I think for you to say, it's not about what I'm doing, it's about what you're learning from others. I mean, you're, you're, a, you're a, um, a donor center or congregationally centered researcher, it seems to me. Well, yes, and this is the way we, you know, we do a lot of education and training around, you know, fundraising or stewardship work with religious leaders. Uh, but it's really the, the, the people that we work with, they may be seminarians, but oftentimes they're even as seminarians or working pastors are oftentimes they're pastors who've been out in the field uh, working for decades. Right. Uh, and so they know their organization, their community. Right. Uh, and there's not one theology of fundraising. There's not one way to do it, but, but helping shape those conversations 
uh, the, oftentimes they're larger leadership, organizational questions, culture questions, um, just giving some space to take these questions on, uh, not as a technical fix about how to do better or raise more, but how do we integrate this into the faith mm. traditions that are, that are sort of tied so closely to giving and generosity. Right. There's a huge benefit that faith-based organizations have, uh, I don't know if I could do this work uh, <laughs> in philanthropy for health care or social <laughs> services. Not that those aren't wonderful um, calls. Right. Yes, definitely right now. And <laughs> <laughs> um, that faith perspective, really kind of engaging with people around their traditions. Uh, that's the beautiful thing about the Christian faith. And, and really all traditions have this in common is this notion about giving back and serving. Um, and I think that's the root of philanthropy. Charity, the love of humankind, obviously, is, is the root of that word. Um, you talk about, and would kind of jump into it, I read this in something you had written or said um, about faith leaders, how the role they play is really key. And they have some of those tools, but they may not, they need to tweak those tools. You you talked about faith leaders, um maybe being more focused as pastoral ethnographers in that they would listen to, and they already can do this. I mean, they tell the story back, but they, they know the story, but they tell the story back. And I think you say a thick description, one that helps bring meaning. Uh, you may say it a little differently. Um, it helps, it helps folks get beyond that kind of technical kind of, way of doing things and think more bigger about the cultural things that are happening. And so that, that ethnography, and then you also say they're congregational exegetes um, and how important that is. Um, you know, we learn how to exegete scripture, to study scripture deeply, but we also um, to have a number of tools. And I get, that's what you're, I think you're pointing to here. What made me think of this is, the Lake Institute and the work you're doing is, and even this research project is just more tools for folks to have to help do some exegesis of their congregation and, and financial uh, and stewardship kind of work. Is that, am I on the right track? Yeah. I mean, I, what, I, what we want to do is with pastors in particular is good pastors, strong um, pastors are already great pastor ethnographers or uh, incredible listeners uh, and can exegete their congregation and their community. Um, in an asset-based kind of way, right? So they're looking not for where the scarcity might be or our budget's not what we want it to be or we don't have young people or these kinds of questions, but what, what is there? What are the strengths? Uh, and in many ways, one of the, you know, I think one of the pastor's main uh, jobs in his or her role is being able to, to speak that back into the community. Mm -hmm. So don't concentrate on what you might lack or what you didn't learn in seminary about fundraising, <laughs> you know, skills, that's stuff that we can teach and frame and in many ways needs to be framed for your particular community. But concentrate mm -hmm. on the skills that, that all pastors I know, the majority of them are great listeners. That's what fundraising is about, listening in mm -hmm. that centered way. So uh, oftentimes we've been stuck as a church in a paradigm from the earliest, the mid 20th century, where we're sort of like, the church is this, the budget's that, we need you to give this, uh, we need you to, uh, you know, make a pledge, uh, do your part, trust us, we know the answers. But donors now really want to engage in, in something that fits their own passion and mission and values. 
that should be the, the work of the church. Um, if someone's engaged in our community, but right. we don't oftentimes make that, you know, communicate that story clearly. We just assume that they can read between the lines when we give them a, a picture and a spreadsheet. So how can we be listeners and listen to the, uh, the joys and oftentimes the pains when people in our communities are talking about money, particularly right now when this right. is a topic that in many ways, many people in our communities are struggling. There's anxiety, there's fear, not among, among our right. but among our members. Um, I think in other, in maybe more than one place, including folks, his uh, doctoral dissertation uh, on kind of a history of world vision and how it really focused on its mission, refocused its mission in a way that helped rearticulate that identity, um, uh, tra- transformed its operations. And I think it's that transformational kind of trajectory that you're talking about. I think that congregational leaders are hoping for that they can be that kind of transformational leader. Their organizations can be transformational, not transactional. That's the old way, sort of like we got to do this sort of our duty. This is sort of mechanical. Um, um, it's, it's, a, it's an obligation to give, for example. You know, the, these are the I remember my first stewardship campaign, you know, we would hand out the pledge cards with the percentages and, you know, all this kind of crazy stuff, you know, I mean, that's not the joy that you're talking about. That's transformational. Right. And I think, I mean, well, we, the way we talk about stewardship uh, or generosity is, is just one, it's a Christian practice uh, mm-hmm. around discipleship, just like we talk about mm-hmm. um, reading scripture or prayer life or service, all of these types of things. Um, it's not a spiritual gift that you do or don't have. You know, you, you, some people do have this gift of generosity, but oftentimes we joke that, you know, they go through a spiritual gift inventory and look, you're hoping that that doesn't, you know, <laughs> doesn't land in that box for you. But it's something that we can grow in and develop in. And it takes practice just like everything else. Uh, and discipleship, and that's something that we're called to, we can get better at, and also uh, it, it's something that kind of gives back to us with joy. So, you know, oftentimes it's, look what we did for someone else, or look right. what we did for this organization, we met the budget, we helped uh, provide X number of meals, etc. But while that's extremely important as lo- aligning with your mission, I think if we focused on the individuals who are giving and helping develop them as givers, we've lost that ability to think mm-hmm. about the joy of giving. Um, and I think that can revolutionize uh, those entrusted to our care, their spiritual lives when they kind of catch that spirit. Right. I think the study, the, the national congregation, the national study of economic practices, congregation study of economic practices, INSEP, we'll just abbreviate it. <laughs> um, you say something about that, that there's a lot that you found that a lot of congregations um, don't teach, they do, they focus more on asking than teaching about giving and teaching about a theology of money that I think that's what you're pointing to is helping dis, some folks say disciple, uh, or some talk about faith formation. Um, that's really what you're pointing to is to spend time talking about that and not, you know, just an annual, which a lot of congregations is just an annual acknowledgement of gifts, not a sort of year-round holistic way of thinking about um, 
about finances, um, and, and including including the management of that that money and how that money is used. Um, those are also important. It seems to talk about all of those things. Um, exactly. You know, receiving how you receive it, how you manage it, and how how it's spent. I think that's where some of the study was focused. Yeah, we 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 talked about in the study how it comes in, how it's received, how it's managed. And, you know, thinking about you know the there's better ways or worse ways to think about planning a budget. You know, in a congregation, who's involved in that process? Is it just staff driven? Is it let's come in here, say a quick prayer, uh, and get to, <laughs> you know the red and black uh, as we read the spreadsheet, and then where does it go? Go, go through the line like line items. You <laughs> as much money. No, I think. Uh, one thing that we really that we oftentimes joke about is the one time people can't hear you talk about money in the church is the one time a year <laughs> you talk about it, you know the, the fall stewardship season. So right. um, it doesn't need to be the stewardship sermon. But what right. are the you know the good news about whether you're a lectionary preacher, if you sort of preach through series, or you just find it through different text or formation materials? Jesus. And scripture more broadly talks about money and resources all the time. So people are hungry to have guidance, spiritual guidance and formation around how they use their resources, how they teach their kids about it, uh, how they invest. Um, They may, and so that helps shape them and guide them so that when you're ready to talk about giving to the church or giving more broadly, they're ready for it. All right. So we got a lot of preachers and you just, sent me the bait. I got to take it. Is, is there a favorite story in scripture uh, to help form this kind of culture of generosity you're talking about uh, that you have? Is there, is there a story or a verse or? <laughs> there, that's a great question. You know, I mean, the Corinthians passage always sort of hits home, I think, about sort of um, being a cheerful giver and thinking that those things through. But, uh, and then if you kind of read through it, you get a bit more than simply that sort of catchphrase that kind of helps um, bring it out. But, you know, I'm always struck by some of the more problematic or confusing parables <laughs> right. that Jesus will tell on this that they get me thinking about whether it's the talents or whatnot. Um, right. That right. I think complicate the easy message that we might get about bringing mm-hmm. the tithe into the storehouse. Um, mm-hmm. I do think that the, the trajectory, the storyline of, of scripture, of the canon overall, really helps us tell the story around generosity mm-hmm. uh, in ways that maybe um, cherry picking or in you know, uh, a particular text at different times. Sometimes uh, I'd, I'd say probably, you know, um, does the disservice to the broader story about get, giving and generosity throughout scripture. Right. Um, well, thanks for at least giving that a, giving that a try there. Um, there is, um, in this, in the conclusion of the study, there is, I feel like for me, and because I care about leadership kind of stuff, you say something about, um, it matters the leader how different leadership styles combine with religious traditions regarding economic practices to create distinct organizational norms. I'm just wondering um, what you would say about leadership styles that you think are healthy or ways people should think about leadership. Um, I mean, you, I think you've said some of those things, but um, and I realize all, the other thing you say right at the, at the get go of the conclusion is 
each every congregation is unique. I mean, that's my translation, my paraphrase. <laughs> um, and there's not like some magical way. There's not, you know, one plan, you know, get on this railroad and it's going to take you um, to a better place. But um, is there anything about leadership styles that you, you noticed in the study or, or from the, the work you're, you've been doing? Well, I, I do think that's worth noting, Lee, it's just that there is no one, you know, one way. And in many ways, what sometimes we combat in this work around generosity is the here's the five easy tools right. <laughs> to grow your budget. Um, that may work for some folks, but I think for us, this is more of a holistic kind of leadership organizational culture question. Um, mm -hmm. so, so it's deeper than that. I'd say the biggest, and this is not a particular leadership style, I think it's something that, that all leaders need to uh, continue to reflect on is a sense of transparency, particularly around money. So uh, never trying to hide behind or, you know, kind of blow smoke as far as where money comes in, how it's sort of where it's being spent and where it goes. Mm -hmm. So having a, a, a clarity of who's involved in that process not that you need to put a line item budget out to the congregational meeting or to the whole, you know, uh, right. the year, but being confident that you could always sort of clearly stand behind where money is being used and where it's going. Mm -hmm. uh, and I would say that the biggest key I think would be being confident uh, and having done your own work around money. Um, right. Study after study points to uh, how oftentimes as religious leaders, uh, we're coming in with a lot, not a lot of training in our own finances, not much less giving mm -hmm. a lot of debt from theological education. Right, right. Um, and so we feel uncomfortable, even sometimes um, shameful about you know, our relationship with money. So mm -hmm. doing that work and being transparent about our own work to do and how we've transformed in that process uh, and talking about how that works within a family unit, uh, giving people things to do at home, homework, that kind of work, I think right. a set of steps for leaders to push towards. So some personal work. I, I noticed, I can't remember um, where I read this um, from you, but that wealth insecurity, the giving illiteracy, the um, this understanding that we give because, you know, is kind of what is comfortable kind of way of getting, so kind of a, so doing some of that personal work, doing that philanthropic autobiography, whatever you're doing, some of our own work will have payoffs for the congregational work that we lead. And I'm thinking about my colleague, David Lowling and our, our, our stewardship um, program and stewardship navigator. And um, there's coaching and other things going on with the foundation to help people work through those kinds of things. But doing that, personal work has payoffs in the congregational work is what I hear you saying. Oh, completely. Yeah. And this is, and, and what I would also say is this is not a singular task, you know, whether you're a solo pastor or a bivocational minister or whatever place you might be, this is not work that's only yours to do. It's right. Uh, so it's, it's part of the leadership of the congregation, the session, the elders, other key lay people, other staff at the same time, it's also not the work that you can put onto someone else so that you're not doing it. You have to, I, I feel confident that you have to be engaged in the, in the money part, in the finances of the congregation. Do you right. need to be out front every time? No, you need everybody's stories and testimonies. And, um, and in fact, you shouldn't be the only one in that role, but you can't uh, offload that to someone else either. 
right, right. Um, what um, what are some things in the in the study or the the research you're doing now and you're teaching? Do you think, um, or the the program at the Lake Institute? Do you think could be really helpful for people to hear that I haven't <laughs> I haven't noticed <laughs> or asked about? Well, I mean, from the research from the NCEP study, it was just kind of overwhelming how much funding uh, congregations receive from sort of in-person worship services from individuals. It's well over 80% of all funding for congregations show, comes through basically the offering plate every week. Wow. wow. And so what's the big story right now is like uh, we're not able to have that. Um, so obviously in-person for, you know, it's, for the vast majority of congregations is not a possibility. And as many congregations are kind of at least considering what kind of process or plan they might put in place to reopen when it's safe to do so, um, that transition to online, what we've learned in recent studies, we've kind of pulled together just since COVID as congregations that were sort of uh, already had um, the organizational capital built mm -hmm. around um, mm -hmm. digital giving in various ways. Uh, were able to to do much better than those that were scrambling at this point in time. And so I know you all have wonderful tools to help folks. Right. Hard. Um, but it, I think a lot of congregations spent more time uh, of their creative energy working to transition super quickly to online or streaming or recorded services. Mm -hmm. And now probably need to begin to also think about how to integrate um, thinking around stewardship. Uh, one thing we've learned is one, once, congregational members have transitioned to online giving or digital giving. Uh, the, those that we've surveyed are not, um, not coming back to in-person writing that check giving. So even oh, really? yeah. when we come back to worship services, I think they've realized that despite, you know, age or generation, the ease of it is, um, is helpful. And they actually get uh, a study from some uh, of our partners, GiveLify, one of the leading online platforms, noted that, that congregants will give more online than they would in person. Wow. Um, wow. Yeah. Not much, but you know, you know, if every hundred dollars they give ten dollars more. Sure. Well, yeah. I can tell you the little small church where we worship, we're that's what we're noticing. I mean, there's more people giving online and they're giving more. I mean, it's unbelievable. I mean, it already was very strong. Uh, in terms of giving, but it's increased. It's crazy. I mean, <laughs> we wouldn't have guessed it. And at the foundation, I can tell you with our online platforms, giving online, which you, we provide that kind of service for congregations, um, our ministry relations officer are, are just, you know, and the operations folks can hardly keep up with demand. Um, and, and folks, you know, signing up, you know, because it's a, a low percentage kind of thing to do and it's it's one of our services so that's that is exciting to hear because i know folks I, I see it all the time uh in a, my pastor's group and others like concerned about the, and assuming that budgets will just decrease i mean uh and you know the market is doing this cra you know these crazy things and but giving seems to be sort of uh going going up um, well, in mean, many places, maybe not everywhere, right? I do think there's a divide here. There are congregations yeah. that had these, uh, the, this technology in place ahead of time that have succeeded mm -hmm. in uh, sustainability or even growth. There's mm -hmm. some that are they're hanging on, um, even a majority are sort of decreasing 10, 20%. 
And then you're going to have congregations that are on the um, sort of there really is a tipping point or divide, even a digital divide to those that are going to really struggle to maintain um, or even be able to continue, you know, into the next year. But one other thing I would mention, though, is just that beyond the the offering plate giving, giving by individuals, whether it's digital through an app or through putting something in offering plate on a Sunday morning, um, I think uh, it would do well for religious leaders, pastors to think about the variety of economic streams that come through uh, their mm, congregation. So right. Rent. Rent, mm-hmm. you know, sales, um, even thinking quite creatively about their building, their space. Um, oftentimes, you know, congregations that their biggest value or asset is their, their building, the land. Right. Now, whether it's development um, or, you know, serving or engaging with other nonprofits or for-profits, um, thinking holistically about um, the, the income, the revenue streams of a congregation will be increasingly important because I think for most congregations, reliance on individual giving um, will continue to be a, what I would imagine smaller or it's a decreasing percentage over their overall budget. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So, even though it's still vast majority or, right. It's not going away anytime soon. It's focused in on. Sure. Getting to a congregation. Yeah. Um, whether it's that preschool or, or um, some other, maybe there's another congregation that's worshiping with you. I hear that a lot. Um, and they're, they're sharing that space or maybe it's the soccer league. <laughs> um, and some of that may be at a reduced cost, obviously, than what they would get other places. So you could, be part of your mission, but that's, that's really want important to encourage a congregation to <laughs> maximize the return on their right. <laughs> so I think it's a great mission vision question to think about how they could charge mm. rent to an under market rent to a social service agency in their community mm. that shares their space or provides necessary job right. place where that's not uh, easily available. But, uh, but, but having that conversation about how that's an important part of the economic of economics. And so mm-hmm. uh, pastors, I think, need to know, you know, just to be comfortable with a theology of money, a theology right. of economics. Um, and I think even our world is increasingly needing to focus on inequity and injustice. These are questions that become a part of the larger stewardship generosity questions, too. I see our time is up, even though I str- uh, strung you out a little bit longer because we've got a late start. Um, but as a it's almost like full circle. I feel like coming back to that vocational or in your dissertation, religious identity, who, who you are, what you believe, articulate. That's a great, who you are personally, who you are as an organization or a great place to, to really, um, and you're never done. I mean, we're never done. You know, how are you going to profess David, Jesus Christ as Lord today is what I want to ask you. <laughs> That's kind of what I mean, we're asking that question all the time. How are we going to live out that, that mission, that call, uh, today. And uh, I thank you so much for the beautiful ways you do that, the way you partner with theological schools, with congregations, with uh, religious nonprofits, uh, the way you work with students, uh, the lectures and resources that you provide um, with the Lake Institute, um, and, and the gracious and joyful way you do that. Um, it's just, um, it's, it's been a gift to me. I'll, I'll, I'll remember that little week we had together in Durham, uh, studying together and I'll, I'll never forget it. And I'm, I'm grateful. Hope we'll have a lifetime of relationships. Um, 
you're too close. We need to be getting together, maybe at a good social distance <laughs> at some point um, sooner rather than later. To close us out, I wonder if you would be willing to provide a, a blessing, a uh, charge to those who've gathered uh, here today. Um, that would, and, and just stay on the line for a minute after that, if you would. Yeah. Well, I'm grateful for the opportunity, Lee, and, and grateful for all of you who have joined us here. And I, and I uh, send you out now just uh, with, with the knowledge and the wisdom that you are enough for this work, that you have the skills uh, and to, to, to excel in, in teaching and helping others transform their understandings of money uh, today and into the future. And I ask that you go and guide the organizations entrusted to you and the people entrusted to your care in the ways that God has led you this day. Amen. Amen. May that be. Amen.